Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. Who are you? What do you do? We currently don't have a clue, but give us 40 minutes of your time. And we'll get along just fine on the Joe Mahler Show. It's the Joe Mahler Show. Nice jingle that, Tom. Do you like that one? No. I loved it. Did you? Didn't like it. I loved it. It's the variety. You know, one of my favourite things to watch is the Royal Variety Show. Yeah. Because of its variety, it's in the name. And I loved that one, that little jingle, but I don't want to hear it again. You know what I mean? Do you know how hard it is writing these jingles? Like, they're ten seconds long, but I'm trying to give you a different vibe each week, like a different sound... I don't think it's that hard. You're describing it as something that's hard, but it's not. Listen, I've said to you before, any time you want to take over jingle duties... I've got a keyboard now, so when you've run out of variations, I'll step up to the plate. Anyway, hello and welcome to our show. I'm Joe Mahala and this is Tom Fordyce. So Joe, I guess this week there is going to be some darkness there. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. Hey, you've, We've got Paul Simon on the show. Um, <laughs> Art Garfunkel's next week. <laughs> Are they both still alive? Yes. Okay, how good. <laughs> Otherwise it is really dark. How are we talking to dead people? Oh God, no, no. Have you seen that picture of Art Garfunkel with his son? You know how distinctive... Right, if I said Art Garfunkel's hair, what are you saying to me? He's put his finger in a socket. He looks a little bit like Marv off of... Home Alone. Imagine that Art Garfunkel yep. with a seven-year-old version no. of that Art Garfunkel. Well, that does make sense because it's his son. Yeah, but I think they're even wearing... I'm going to find this picture on Google. <laughs> Is it actually... Just... Oh, my God, he's done that as a wind-up, surely. <laughs> Have they got as a fancy dress? See what I mean? <laughs> it's been a fancy dress theme and they've gone, right, we've got to go as twins. That is phenomenal. Google Art Garfunkel's son. And that picture will come up. <laughs> that is brilliant. What year was that? Not important. It's not important. It's not it's important. Like, just fucking shut that bit out. So I guess there will be some darkness, my old friend. So it's not Art Garfunkel. Not Art Garfunkel Thanks for clearing or Paul Simon. Yep. It's someone we are very interested in. Although yep. hopefully we would never bump into them in a professional capacity. You can never say never, mate. You can never say never. Basically, let's cut the chase. He's a prison governor. Are you more likely to go to prison than me or vice versa? You. Why? I think you're going to get greedy. I think you're going to set up some sort of scheme. You'll probably get me to invest in it. Yeah. it, it it's been done before. You know, I've been hook, line and seen good before. And uh, I think you'll end up in, in one of Her, Her Majesty's finest. Would you come and visit me? Uh, Would you pick up the telephone? You know, it's like that little telephone behind the, the glass thing. Yeah, I don't know how many podcasts out there actually do that. Can Is that something? Maybe we could be the first podcast. I'm not that, going to prison just so we can be the first podcast done in prison. I think that's a, family. that's a lack of commitment. I'd look after them. That's fine. 
Do you know what I mean? They come live with us in Sussex. How long do I have to be inside for? I would say eight, eight years. Eight years? Otherwise, it's not really a proper stretch, is it, as they say in the game? You know, how right. long was your stretch? Oh, I did an eighter. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> is that eight years that the judge hands down, or is he, because obviously I'm going to behave quite well in there, or mm. is he, do I get like 12 years, but I behave really well, so I serve eight? No, you, you'll get eight and four I reckon. Maybe even less, because you, you'll obviously behave really well. What sort of job would you go for in there? I will write the prison governor's memoirs, because, you know, in Shawshank, when he does the accounts, I can't do accounts. <laughs> but <laughs> OK, all right, let's get on with it. Let's get into this one. Our guest today has been a prison governor at four different prisons. He's currently head of operational security for the prisons and probation service. That's pretty big. That's big stuff. That's a, That's a big job by the sounds of it his name is jamie bennett hello jamie hi thanks for inviting me oh, thank you very much for coming because like we've actually struggled with that uh, we put out invites to people and they go not really sure um so it's actually really nice that you have turned up for this well there you go oh it's a bonus so which uh, we've got a lot of questions here haven't we well i've we... got a lot yeah how, i don't know how, about you how many pages in your notepad have you filled for this one well i've got a, i've got a couple Let's say, Jamie, there's been a massive miscarriage of justice. I'm being jailed for a crime which I didn't commit, but the jury have decided I did. So I've been convicted. I'm going to prison. I come out of the dock. I go into the police van. I go to prison. What happens next? So when someone arrives in a prison, the first thing that happens is that they go through a reception process. We obviously take details of people, but also try to make sure that they're safe. Um, you can imagine that if you just received a conviction and you're going to be spending some time in prison, you're probably quite distressed. So we have both staff and sometimes also trained prisoners who help people to deal with that initial shock. And we want to make sure people can contact their families and make sure they get their basic needs met for their first night in custody. Once people have gone through that process, they'll go on to a first night centre or a, an induction wing, which is a separate part of the prison where people who are new into the prison will be held. And again, this is just to help them to settle in and make sure that they're supported at a time when they're probably feeling really vulnerable. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be too mean here. But the way in which you've just described that, Jamie, seems like you've put a huge amount of emphasis and effort into actually the feelings and the care of the prisoner. And there's a lot of people that would go, hang on a minute, why are you caring about someone that's just broken the law? Why, why are you putting so much effort into someone that's just been convicted of GBH or ABH or what? why? That's a question that I'd be going, oh, hang on a minute, there's actually a little bit more to it than just going, you're locked up for the next 10 years, mate, get on with it. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we know that the first few days and first month that people are in prison, there's a time when they're can be most vulnerable to harming themselves, to taking their own lives. So we want to guard against that. We want to make sure that people are safe. And there are a lot of assumptions made about people who are imprisoned. I mean, your assumption there was that people are in for violent offences. And actually, people aren't always in for violent offences. The majority of people are in prison. They're not in there for violent offences. They're often in there for property offences. And your assumption was also that they're there for long sentences, so 10 years. Well, actually, the vast majority of prisoners are in there for relatively short periods of time, six months, a year, and they'll be going back out again. So if they were brutalised and we didn't help them, then actually they're, they're not going to be great neighbours when they come out again. Do you get tears, Jamie, that first day when people go into prison? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the assumption is sometimes that someone comes in for a prison sentence and the tears are for themselves. So they're upset because they're facing a sentence. But actually, many people are upset because they've harmed someone else. They they feel guilt about what they've done. And also people are upset about the impact that it has on their family, on their on their children. So yes, we see tears and we see distress, and it's for many different reasons. I'm fascinated, Joe, by the minutiae of what happens when you go to prison. So Jamie, so this first day, we've gone to our, a cell, I guess. If I walked into the cell, what would I see? What am I wearing? So sometimes cells are individual, and certainly when people first come into a prison, normally they would be held in an individual cell unless they had to be held with someone else for safety reasons. And they have different facilities depending upon the age of the prison. But they will have a bed, a cupboard, usually a chair. They would have a toilet and a sink in there. Um, So they're very basic, they're very simple. People in prison, as long as they behave themselves, are allowed a television, a radio, some personal property. People can wear their own clothes if they have them, or we can give people clothes if they don't, or choose to wear prison-issue clothing. It's really, really fascinating because I just immediately picture a lot of my knowledge comes from films. So I just imagine, right, you go there, you strip down, here's your wee clothes, here's your prison clothes, whether it's a tracksuit or your classic American orange orange one. What would be a classic UK like old one? Pinstripe. Pinstripe. Black and white stripe. Black and white stripe, you know, your classic stereotype. But before you put them on, you've got to go into this part of the cell. They get a big old fire hose out. You're completely drenched, start bollock naked. Then you're doused with a load of de or de What's it? Yeah, it's de Well, I'm assuming it was de yeah. But it's to get rid of the lice. Yeah, you think if you've been hit by a pressure hose, they've gone already. But Yeah, probably. And then, so you're up and down, a bit like Shawshank, up and down, but gone thing, walk down into in your uh, new prison gears and uh, locked up in your cell in, in the very basic. But... It's not like that at all, is it? The first prison I went into, I went onto a prison wing. You know, this guy started walking towards us and I thought, oh, yeah, here we go. It's all going to kick off now. And I was expecting people to be on pool tables, throwing balls, everyone like fighting all over the place. Balls in socks. Yeah, yeah all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carling, who's the daddy? But I mean, it was none of that, you know. it was. And, and when I started working in prisons, the thing that shocked me the most is how normal it all was that people are living and working together. They're getting on day to day. Um, You know, you've got the routine of the day where people go out to work, go to education, you know, do their basic domestics on the wing. There's there's a lot that's just very normal about it all or or comes to seem very normal about it all. It's not all kind of violence and distress all of the time. Some of it's quite mundane, really. It sounds, Jamie, like... Joe and I have got a lot of things wrong about prisons <laughs> initially. I think I've got it really, really wrong. Right, here's another massive cliche that I've suddenly wondered about. So the sound of a prison at night time to me is the classic doors slamming, bang. Now I'm wondering if they even, do you even shut individual cell doors? Are people literally locked up in their cell or is it just, we've got a massive great wall out there, you're not getting out? In closed prisons, they are locked in their cells. There are different types of prisons. So the vast majority of prisons are are closed prisons and and there they would be locked in their cells from around about seven o'clock at night through to around eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, when you're talking about that sound and that kind of clunk, 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 you know, that's the kind of American image where you have gates at the front and they close by someone pulling a lever. I mean, we don't know. There's nothing like that. It's uh, At all. There's no prisons like that anymore. That's you sound so in, disappointed. In America, <laughs> yeah. 
So in America, in the movies and in your head, yeah. they definitely exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, just, I went to Alcatraz, not as a convict, as a tourist. <laughs> and uh, because I, they've got all those, the metal bars and all that, like, and the slide and all that, like, and the multi-levels and things, that's just exactly how I picture every prison being. But it's not in the slightest, is it? Because we live in... 2020 now. There are prisons in the UK that are Victorian prisons. They were built in the 1800s. And so they're these long galleried landings. And you would have seen films with that kind of image, you know, where you've got lots of wings coming from a central circle. This is your porridge setup, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or the meme machine. Setup. You know, yeah. the, the English meme machine. Right? With Vinnie Jones? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, again, that's not real life. And yet I thought that was completely normal. I thought it was completely normal for prison guards to play football matches against inmates. <laughs> that's how I no, see the, it. The, so it does happen. Like, no. Like prison officers and prisoners do sometimes play football matches. And I've also worked in prisons where there have been sporting competitions with uh, teams from the local community as well. So it absolutely it happens. That's br- now there we go. I did once go out and play football with them, and I went in goal. Um, <laughs> there were eight shots at goal, and we lost seven nil. Oh. So what I used to go the, and do circuits. With, what happened with the one shot then? It, hit my, that, it hit my hand and nearly broke my finger. <laughs> Very good. Just just before we move on from the meme machine bit, the term screws. A what is screw? Like why screws? And is that actually used? Are they? Oh, fucking. So, my understanding of where this comes from is from prisons in the Victorian time where there used to be compulsory work and people would have to go on these treadmills. And the resistance on the treadmill would be determined by the turn of a screw and it would be the officers who did that. So that's my understanding of where the term comes from. And does it get used? Uh, yeah, it gets used sometimes in prisons. Um, How random is that? As a, as a, oh, it was because they used to turn up the, use the screw to turn the treadmill. In my head, I've got a really modern treadmill, like a, a nice David Lloyd gym, which I know is wrong. And I've just got the prison governor putting up the gradient. And then <laughs> yeah. 13K. Dick, 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 dick. I, I actually thought it was because they used to go around every single cell and have to screw them shut. They were in charge of that. But then when that I would take think a long it, time. It would take all night. You'd need a power drill. Just, there you go. You're, you're in there for the night. So there's a better system for that, surely. Um, other myth busters we can do here, Jamie. So I heard quite a sad story from a friend who had a school friend who ended up in prison going to Wormwood Scrubs who gradually slipped into a life of crime. And this friend of mine who went to visit his friend had absolutely no experience of prisons, wanted to help his friend out, and because he's only seen prison films, took along cigarettes. Because in his head, cigarettes are currency in prison, snouts. So is that true? Is he massively off? So smoking was banned in prisons about uh, four years ago. So, yes, he's massively off. <laughs> so banned completely, not even in the yard. Yeah, completely. So, you know, it's a workplace as well. And so prisons have had to adapt to that as well. And so, yeah, people can vape. So what's the new currency? If it's not cigarettes, what? What's Vapes the... aren't quite the vape Vapes, capsules. And they're a lot harder to... Yeah. Or are they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's an illicit economy in prisons. So you, you'll have people who come into prisons who continue criminality. So they will, for example, try to be involved in the dealing of drugs or spice, which you would have heard of. So, you know, which is when uh, that, synthetic that crazy, drugs. Yeah, the synthetic stuff that was doing Turns a lot of damage. Turns people into zombies, doesn't it? 
I'm very interested to know how they would go about smuggling that sort of stuff in. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm hearing words like keister. Are we not familiar with the keister term? Do you want to demonstrate? <laughs> Jamie, when we... When the objects we... <laughs> are far too big in this room. <laughs> Jamie, when we, when we discussed you coming on this podcast, Joe came to the word keister quite quickly. Yes, I did, because it's one, one of the first things I think of in prison. I'm like, oh, someone's definitely going to keister something to get in the... You, you're talking about people hiding things internally. In the anus, yes. Yeah. One of the things that, we, that happened last year was there was a £100 million investment in prison security... And part of that was to introduce body scanners, which can look inside people to identify contraband like drugs, mobile phones, etc., that they might be hiding internally. So you're absolutely right. That is one of the risks, and that's what we need to tackle, and we're absolutely investing in trying to do so. (laughs) The amount of money that's been spent on the prison system to stop the keistering community from... Is from there... smuggling in their contraband. Wow, that is quite a substantial amount. But what's the old classic? There's another one that I saw that like, in an apple, someone walking around this prison or something, and they put like a, I don't know, a little bag in the apple and they just lob it over the fence and then someone goes and picks it up. You know, does that happen? Apples? No, not an apple, <laughs> tennis balls. So. Oh, tennis balls. So, so it does that does happen. So people, that, so there are a number of routes in which you can try and get things into prisons. So... Um, smuggling them internally, trying to throw things over the wall, corrupting members of staff. These are all ways in which people try to get drugs or mobile phones into prisons. And the investment that was made, £100 million, was to tackle these and to try and reduce this. Because it's a real threat. You know, you've got people who are trying to make a positive change in their lives. And it's difficult when you've got people trying to exploit their vulnerability or the substance misuse. You know, you've got the potential for violence around people who are competing for drug markets. So this is a real problem which we're committing to tackling it. First of all, because it is organised crime. It is crime taking place in prisons. But also it prevents those people who are trying to make a positive change in their lives from doing so. I've got a slight image, Joe, in my head of a kingpin inside as in kingpin from the mighty mice yeah him him. with the big bald one and the white suit yeah so he's in prison someone comes up to him and they wince but they give him a mobile phone and he's like fantastic and he looks at them and goes you got the charger and the bloke goes oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah you've only got you've got six hours use of that (laughs) make make the most of it um there's people out there that would go prison's quite easy it's quite a cushy way out of it. You'd argue that a lot of homeless people out there probably get it harder than than what prisoners do. The stereotypes of the e- the easy sort of go tos of they shouldn't be having any prisoner shouldn't be having TVs. Any prisoner shouldn't be having Xbox. They shouldn't be having they shouldn't be having fun. They should they're, they're there to serve time because they've broken a law. They've done a crime that the rest of society are happy to not do, and they've made a decision to break those laws. So. I guess the question is, what do you say to those people that say that, well, prison's too easy? Is it? Is it? Should it be harder for the people that, that are serving time in there? The life that they have, they have their basic needs met. You know, they're restricted to a small area, one room. You know, they do come out, but they, you know, they, their time isn't their own. They can't go where they want, when they want. Um, they're limited in the contact they can have with their loved ones. They're separated from their loved ones, separated from their partners, from their children. It's sometimes easy to sit on the the outside, not having experienced it, and to sort of say, oh, well, it should be, it's either really terrible or it's really easy. And I get both of those things 
thrown at me. You know, people inside, people who've served a sentence will tell you that although you can survive, you can cope and, you know, in some ways you can make some differences in your life, it's very painful being separated from the people you love. It's very difficult knowing that life's going on outside and you're separated from that. And it's very difficult if you can't tune into podcasts like this. <laughs> I love how he bridged to that. <laughs> that was really, really good. I like that. Let's continue this albeit disturbing fantasy that one of Joe or I... No, it's you. Or I've gone to prison. <laughs> it's you. Possibly for crimes against podcasting. I don't know if that still carries a penal <laughs> sentence. If we want to survive in prison, so you, Jamie, have, have worked in prisons for, what, 25 years now? All of us have got a checklist of things that we've seen or heard from someone. Oh, right, get a job in the library or... If you become Muslim, you get better food. All these sort of weird cliches of how you survive in prison. So what would be the top three tips from you? Make sure that you develop an effective support network because it will be difficult. So whether that's the people that you contact outside, whether it's people who work in the prison or whether it's peers who are the right sort of peers that are going to help in the right way then I think that's the most important thing. The second thing is to make use of the time that you've got in there. So if there are opportunities for training or education, then make the most of it. And the third thing is think about what's going to happen after you're released. So where are you going to live? Who's going to support you? What job are you going to do? So be thinking about those things. So I'd say that they would be the three things to think of. So very different to the prison that I watched on the other night um, in Honduras. Honduras. How do I say it? Honduras. Are they American? Was it an American programme? No. I didn't assume that you watched it in the in Spanish. Donde, understande. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it was It was called the Danley Prison in Honduras. And basically it's run by the top convicts in there. They had, I think it was eight or ten prison guards... They would bring in the prisoners, do the strip search, do all the... the in a, probably a slightly different way to how we do it over here. There's less care about their emotions and yeah. and their well-being. Open the gate, you're greeted by the top criminal in there, who they called guards or officers, who was in charge of the fellow officers, their, screw, their version of screws, who were in charge of running the prison within that, those walls. The guards then, they're just outside. And it just fascinated me. I was like, how on earth have they got to a point where they go, yeah, let's put all these guys in prison and the top most alpha prisoners, you're in charge of running that prison. And I thought, this can't work. This can't possibly work. And it does. And it thought I thought, well, maybe we should introduce that over here. How would that work? So that what you're describing then, doesn't sound like a great model, but there are elements. <laughs> there are there are elements of okay, it. Okay, so you're not going to consider it as an option. There are some elements of it, yeah. which I think are really good. So let's say, for example, in the UK, we train prisoners to support other prisoners. So, for example, the Samaritans train prisoners to be listeners, so they receive similar training to Samaritans. We also train prisoners to be gym instructors or to help in classrooms or to be peer supporters on um, offending behaviour programmes. And there are lots of other voluntary roles that people do in prisons to help one another. So the idea of peer support 
is absolutely vital. What I'd say is that that's very different from handing over the keys and saying, getting on with it, get on with it. <laughs> I was just about to say, I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of peer support yeah. going in in the, in the Honduras Danley prison. It was mainly a fear factor. They're the ones, they were actually the ones with the weapons, yeah. believe it or not. These officers had batons and knives and they were in charge of, who, of running. Who gave it. this the green light? <laughs> Juan Orlando Hernandez is the current president of Honduras. No, I just love the way that your producer whispered that into your ear and you repeated <laughs> no, it so confidently, like you knew it. You are not meant to give away the secrets. <laughs> the magic of broadcasting. Steve, help me. I'm struggling. It's really good. Honduras is ticked off. I won't be visiting that one then. Fuck him. Listen, we're going to have more on Honduras. Joe, you want some more Honduras? You can chat. You're going with that voice, are you? Go on then. Honduras. Why Why would everyone in Honduras have, like, a bad case of constipation? Honduras. That's how they talk, man. Get on with it. So, more about Honduras in a bit. Jamie, do you want a glass of water? Should we have a little two-minute breather? Uh, we're going to squeeze a cheeky ad break in here, Joe, and we'll be back in a moment. Well, it's a quiz. But this time, it's a podcast. Yes! With me, Mikita Oliver. I was going to go with that at first, you know, I really was. I love a quiz. I'm nervous. Oh, how many edges does a 20p have? Uh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God, I'm doing so badly. We will quiz, we will chat, and then we will repeat forever. Just search Quiz Chat Repeat in your podcast app. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favourite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behaviour creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. Right, thank you very much for that. We're gazillionaires now, after that ad break. Shall we talk about breaking out of prison? I would imagine that escaping is a lot harder than it ever was before. Yes. Strange enough, when you look back, say, for example, in the 1990s, there were a number of very high-profile escapes from prisons. It wouldn't be unusual to have sort of scores or 100 sort of escapes from prison every year. But these days, if you had one a year, that would be significant. So, so what changed? So there was a significant investment and improvement in prison security. So in security practices to make them more consistent. They rebuilt them all without soapstone. So they couldn't dig away with a little, uh, <laughs> a little tiny hammer. Tiny little hammer underneath the poster. <laughs> I think that's how, that was the investment. Because the thing about prison escapes is they have to be dramatic and they have to be a bit romantic. But realistically, Jamie, like in the history of the British penal system, how many people have tunnelled their way out of prison? Uh, if you look at the historical ones, so in the in the 1990s, the high-profile escapes, or in the 1960s, there were some high-profile escapes. They tend to be people climbing over the wall. How would they get over the wall? People would, for example, try to manufacture ladders from whatever material they could find. Or they'd climb, Tom. Yeah, but they're quite tall, these walls, Joe. And they have barbed wire involved. Yeah, but you've seen that that Spider-Man guy that climbed that glass building once. If he can do it, you know. It's quite specific skills that man has, though, isn't there? There aren't many glass prisons, are there? (laughs) 
I think you're missing a trick. Maybe there is in Honduras. Uh, I will do my research with Juan Orlando Hernandez. <laughs> um, I'll get in touch with him and make a suggestion that he does that one next. But if you're trying to escape as well, is there genuine at any point in getting out? I.e., if you get out, what happens next? So people have picked up very quickly as the reality. If you watch films, you, you think, you know, they're getting out to a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and, you know, whisked off to Spain or whatever. The, the reality is that most people in prison just don't have that sort of resources. They don't have that sort of support around them to try and do that. So if people do, they're generally picked up very quickly. There's that story about that group that left uh, escaped Alcatraz on the makeshift raft that they came out with and there's still hope that they're really old and that they're out there living. But by all accounts, the currents are under the bridge or whatever. It's like, mate, they'd have drowned in five minutes. Like, it's romantic. But even if they had got out, like you said, what sort of life are they going to be living? You know, are they doing like in Shawshank where um, Brooks, who was institutionalised for like 50 years, he became a grocery packer and then he was like well this is fucking shit i was actually better off going and seeing in prison and then he you know did what brooks did and you know, mm. poor old Bro- oh, i really felt for brooks yeah he was a, he was a tragic character wasn't he brooks oh, it's really really shame we've talked a lot about cliches jamie of prison life and one of the darkest cliches is around sexual assault does it happen so a lot of that image comes from films often american films so It's certainly an issue which is much bigger in American prisons. It's rare in the UK. Um, We don't get many reports of it. And it would generally be very much frowned upon by other prisoners uh, in the prison community. But also, you know, where that is reported, then it's it's a crime and it would be treated as a crime. So um, although, of course, you know, violence and sexual violence does happen in prisons, I'd say that it's very rare and I think the cliché largely comes from films rather than being driven by the reality of, of what's happening. There, were, there was always that fear, though, you know, the classic line of, oh, you don't want to go to prison because, you know, they'll make you pick up the soap and all that sort of... Or the sisters from... Um, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. That actually was played quite a big part in mine and yeah. my mate's growing up of you don't want to go to prison because that's what's going to happen so in some ways although it's rare in this country and in a crime itself but it was actually quite a big deterrent for many people who've never been in a prison who don't know people who've been in prison who aren't around violence and crime the idea of going to prison is absolutely terrifying people are scared that they will be the victim of violent and sexual violence but many of the people who come into prison Um, that I encounter, they know other people there. You know, they're coming into a local prison, which is in the town or city that they come from. They often know other people or they've known other people in their lives from their communities who um, have been in prison. So it's not necessarily the same experience for many of them as it would be for someone who, who has a different lifestyle. But you can imagine that many people listening to this, the idea of going to prison would terrify them. I, have you ever spent a night even in like the cells and that? What's a prison? You know that you've got the cells at a police station. What are they called? Cells. Police station cells. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's coming as soon as I. It's <laughs> coming out of my mouth. I went. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've spent a night in those cells. I was fourteen. They didn't believe I was fourteen. 
I was gobbing off, and they were like, you're 16, but I'm like, oh, where's my mum? You know, apparently you're you're fine to go in there. If you're 16, you don't need an adult accompanying you or something like that. And me and two mates had been involved in, I think they called it public affray, basically a big old fight in the middle of the street, and put in there for the night. And I have never been so scared in my life. Even though, like, it was it was just a fight, it was a thingy, but it was, and we'd been put in the back of the police van, taken there, right, take your shoes off, take the, all that lot, and, right, and put in there, and you're sat on your own, middle of the night, and I was, like, shitting myself, panicking, crying. Even that one experience was enough to be, like, fuck, I don't want to have to do this every night for a month, two months, a year... So to actually sit here and talk to you about caring on a human level, human being level that, yeah, you've committed a crime, yeah, you've done wrong, but how do we help you to make sure that, A, you don't do it again, and B, you actually leave here as a better person or being able to contribute better to society from that? And that one night in the cells was enough for me to to not do it again. So I won't fucking do that. Really sorry. I don't know why I'm apologising to you. I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't going to take you with me when I go. <laughs> I was like, oh God, this is the end. Oh, I love you, Daisy. Bye. Um, I hate to be the one to always come back to like, oh, fucking hell, this is shit. Answer, like, do all the, ask these questions. But on my uh, research of Honduras yeah. Stanley Prison, yeah. uh, turns out the government spend, the Honduras government spend 43p a day per prisoner on their food so breakfast lunch dinner yeah what do you say to those people that moan that we spend so much as taxpayers too much money in in this country so in the uk it, the equivalent figure for food would be around about two pounds a day and that's for breakfast lunch and evening meal breakfast would be like some cereal tea or coffee you know just in a sachet you know it's not like great quality stuff probably some bread jam or marmalade with that so fairly simple stuff uh lunchtime would normally be uh, a cold meal so it would be a sandwich or a salad and then evening would be a, a hot meal so generally there would be five choices to reflect different dietary or cultural requirements so generally there are around about five options that people have joe you would be really hungry <laughs> <laughs> no surely the prison food would be you have to meet the daily intake. Was it two thousand, two and a half thousand? Is a when was the last time you just ate two thousand calories in a day? I was eight, <laughs> <laughs> and even then it was probably pushing it. So there are a lot of regulations about these things. So it has to meet certain health requirements. But what people also can do, so money that people earn by working in the prison. So if people are doing a job in the prison, then they get a small amount of pay, and it's, it is small. But they can spend that in, uh, well, it's called a prison shop, a prison canteen, but it's actually done by, you know, filling in a sheet and then a bag is delivered at the end of the week. And they, but they pay for that. And they, there's a limited number of items, about 300 items that people can get from that. So that would be generally things like tea, coffee, etc., biscuits, but also things that you can make in the cell, like noodles or whatever. So people can supplement as well with those kind of items which they buy from money they earn. I guess if you want to do your noodles, you can't do it in your cell. You haven't got a kettle or something like that in your cell, have you? People get access to hot water. So whether it's either from a 
when they're unlocked, they can access uh, uh, hot water through a boiler or whatever. Some places there is access to uh, small personal kettles. Mm, I, I thought that but generally like that's it. linked to whether you're well behaved or not ah so it's always a so correlation you, it's, between so it's like an incentive you so, behave you'll be you'll be trusted to so have a little bit more the privileges that people can have in prison are linked to how well behaved they are so you get either a, a basic standard or enhanced level of privileges Ooh. but that depends on both your conduct in prison and how much you're contributing to try to change your life and how much you're making a positive contribution to other people's lives while you're in prison. I'm just wondering for Joe, that if Joe ended up in prison, of the 300 items, is one of them a protein shake? I think that there might be some things like that. It's that not a problem if it's not available, because I know a mate who's actually very good at keistering <laughs> protein powder. Um, it comes out with a slightly, <laughs> you know, funny flavour to it, but needs must. If you're going to get your protein intake up, it needs must, and I'll go down that route. Um, I just want to ask quickly about, I mean, it might not be that quickly, but in terms of prisons, I have this image of there's these normal prisoners, there's fraud, robbery, assault sort of prisoners, and then you've got, well, I'd even put some murderers, but, crimes of passion or crimes of manslaughter or, or that not necessarily premeditated with that group and then i'd group sexual predators paedophiles more sadistic psychopathic end of the spectrum i envisage that those sort of people are almost sometimes hunted or attacked often or do you know what i mean or they're they're the wrong sort of criminals from this group of criminals they don't go anywhere near this lot they're the bad criminals almost we're good criminals you're bad criminals is is that is that the case or are they completely separate in different prisons so you don't ever have that sort of encounter so generally the way that prisons are organized is that there are different security categories so you have a different type of prison for each of those. So a Category A prison holds the people who committed the most serious offences and present the greatest risk to the public. So this might be, for example, people who have been involved in serious organised crime, violent extremism and serial violent or sexually violent offences. So that would be Category A. Then you've got Category B and C, which are both the kind of medium security, which might be people who started off in Category A and have sort of progressed by undertaking programmes, etc. But it'll also be people who are assessed as being a medium risk. And you'll have a whole range of people who've committed different offences within a medium security group. And then you'll have Category D prisons, which are low security prisons, sometimes called open prisons. And they are preparing people for release into the community. So they have very low levels of security. And some of the people in those prisons are assessed to go out on day release into the community to do jobs or to go to college or education. Um, so there are different security categories according to um, the risk that people present to the public. The, the question about different types of offences. So some people are vulnerable because of the nature of their offence or because they're in debt uh, or for other reasons. And there are units within prisons uh, which are often referred to as vulnerable prisoner units, which hold people who are separate. And a number of the people in there will be people who have committed 
sexually violent offences. Uh, and as you say, some of the reason for that is because sometimes other prisoners want to attack people because of the nature of their offences. I don't want to suggest that all prisoners have that share that view, but the, that is one of the reasons for um, separating people out in some prisons. It amazes me that a criminal mind can go, hang on, I've murdered someone, but that's OK. You killing a, an eight-year-old, that's not OK. It's kind of like, wow, hang on, this... I mean, it's, it is distorted thinking, but some of that, you have to sometimes understand the sort of backgrounds and histories of some of the people who are in prison, in particular people who have a history of violence or sexual violence. And there'll be a high proportion of them who themselves in their childhoods were the victims of abuse and trauma. So the desire to be violent to people who've committed certain offences is sometimes driven by the fact that they have themselves been the victims of those offences in their childhood. Even if they're not disclosing it, even if they're hiding it, uh, that, that is sometimes the case. Um, you've, you've actually, what's the word, enlightened? No, what's, not enlightened. That Could is, be. It's not fucking Buddhism. It's <laughs> not enlightened. Uh, educated. You've actually educated me a huge amount in terms of what the actual prison system looks like. But what I did want to talk about is the death penalty. There's a lot of people that champion, they're like, well, there's certain crimes that people commit that you go, they're not going to be able to rehabilitate them. They're not going to be able to come back into the normal world. And actually, their crimes have been that horrific. Why why the hell are they going to be given a second chance or even a chance to continue living? There are, I mean, there are some crimes that people hear or read about which they, they really upset people and they feel angry about it. And, you know, it's understandable. A lot of it is very understandable. Whether we should base our criminal justice system on that immediate reaction that people have, that's the question that I'd have. You know, we abolished the death penalty a long, long time ago. It isn't practised across Europe. But we do have people who have committed such serious offences that they will spend the whole of their life in prison. You know, that's what the court has decided. And although that's rare, that is, you know, in some cases, that is absolutely right. We don't take people's lives because we don't we don't see in this country, we, we don't see an eye for an eye being the answer to any problem. We, we see it as leaving everyone blind. So why, why do they in weird parts of America? Well, not weird parts of America. Why in parts of America do they do they still think? It is acceptable that eye for eye that there are crimes out there that do deserve the the severest of punishment. Is it that phrase that literally that phrase an eye for an eye is an Old Testament phrase? And mm. is that it, Jamie? That the states which are in the Bible Belt, the states which are more religious, would lean that way. There's probably lots of reasons for it, and that may be one of it. One of that is kind of cultural and historical, uh, and perhaps also related to the levels of crime and violence that they have in some of those states. I mean, we don't have the issue with sort of high homicide rate that there is in the US, or we don't have the same level of imprisonment. So the US is the highest imprisoner in the whole world. So the UK imprisons something like 150 people for every 100,000 of the population. In America, it's around 800. It's about six times higher the rate of imprisonment. How much does it cost to put one person in prison per night it does vary from place to place but that is the state responsibility you know the um in england and wales we choose to imprison around about eighty thousand people currently at any one time that's a lot it's just over seventy nine thousand. <laughs> yeah 
So it's come down. It was around around about eighty five, eighty six thousand. So it's come down a little bit. But you know, if you if you decide to imprison people, then there is a cost attached to that, and and they they're decisions that any government has to take. You know, how much you're going to spend on the criminal justice system, how much you're going to spend on the policing system, the health system, the education system, how much tax you're going to pay to cover all of that. These are political and public choices that have to be made. Just give us a ballpark figure for what society has deemed acceptable. How much does it cost to have a prisoner in a maximum security prison? For one night, you'd be talking about probably somewhere between, say, £100 and £150 per night, just as a broad average. What, why did you make that face of like... <sighs> it's a lot of money. Yeah, of course it's a lot of money, but what... what you get what, Premier in for 60 quid if you book it at a time. Other hotels are available, yeah. unless, of course, Premier want to sponsor the podcast. Now, when you make that face of, oh, that's actually quite a lot of money, it's like, well, yeah, it is a lot of money, but the alternative is you have more criminals out on the street and there's less time being put in to rehabilitate them so that they can rejoin society appropriately and, and normally. So... I'm happier to pay that money as a taxpayer because the alternative is you have less people in prison, you have more people out in the streets that haven't been getting the help that they need in order to rejoin society appropriately. So, Ultimately, they're political choices, aren't they, that we make as a country. How do we want to kind of deal with crime? You know, there are other countries that imprison a lot less people and take a different approach. But it's not just about their criminal justice system. So if you look, like often people point to Scandinavia, for example, and say, well, you know, in Norway, they imprison a lot less people or in Finland or Sweden. But actually, there's there's also a different level of tax that people pay there. And there's a different sort of level of investment in housing and education and health. And it's a completely different society. So the criminal justice system is a reflection of the society in which it's based. As well, with that Norwegian, the Scandinavian idea, if you watch Scandi Noir, you'd suggest that maybe they should keep more people in prison because there's a hell of a lot of murders. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I'm more South American... Prison docs. Spanish yeah. fl- fluent rather than uh, Scandinavian. <laughs> so Scandinoir. What did you say? Scandinoir? Sc- Scandi Noir. So Noir meaning darkness, Scandi. I got the Noir yeah. bit. Yeah. Thank you. What was the other bit? Scandi. It basically involves um, serial killers and elaborate jumpers. It's usually the combination. <laughs> it does, yeah. Why is it we always compare, use Scandinavian countries to compare everything? Like, always compared to the Scandinavian. What's your problem with Scandinavia? I haven't got any problem with Scandinavia. I want to go over there and see the Northern Lights at some point. But oh, it's very you know. expensive because of the high taxes. Is, oh, <laughs> I won't bother then. I'll just YouTube it. <laughs> oh, God, there you go. My wife won't be happy. She's always wanted to go. Oh, yeah, let's go in one of those glass domes. I'm like, I can't. This, they don't uh, prison enough people. So we can't go there, it's too dangerous. And they're like, well, and then she'll go, no, but it's because of the tax system and it's different with the housing benefits and stuff like that. And I'll be like, you've been talking to Jamie, haven't you? <laughs> you steer clear of that, Jamie. Um, Just beware of what type of jumper she's wearing. Is that that Scandinavian noir joke again? <laughs> <laughs> you've got me on this. You've got me hook, long and sinker. Um, I'd like to think that I came into this pod before this chat quite ignorant and with a lot of stereotypical views on what the UK prison system is is like and having listened to you and describe it always maybe actually sit and think and go you're right the majority of people that are going to prison aren't serial killers they're rare they're, they're once in a blue moon the majority of people are 
people that have money issues that have decided to commit fraud or or something like that that you think they deserve a second chance or deserve a chance to rehabilitate and and one of the questions i wanted to ask you was what's the point of the prison service although kind of been a lot of negativity thrown at you it's really been interesting to have actually hang on a minute mate it's actually a system employed to to help people to not be criminals anymore otherwise you know the society would be shot to shit we'd just lock them up put them on an island and fuck them off completely forever and it has been quite not dark but we've talked thing is there any sort of like uplifting more uplifting stories we can talk about that you you know of like as a as a success story that have come in let me tell you about a couple of the people who i've met over the years and what they've did i had one guy who came back to see me at one prison he'd been there 20 years before and um he'd come in there as a young man he decided to make a shortcut to get rich quick committing financial crime he'd gone to prison but he had a young family and he he thought I've got to stop doing this. This isn't good for me. It's not good for my family. So he did a painting and decorating course while he was in the prison, sort of learned to be a painter and decorator. And he went out, got a job as a painter and decorator. I'm thinking, oh, I quite like this property business. Sort of went into, uh, started to like get his own business going, started developing properties. And he came back 20 years later, got a successful property business, employs 200 people, uh, including many people who are on the margins of society, trying to make a positive difference to them. And he'd been awarded an MBE. So this is the sort of, sometimes the people that are in there, untapped potential. And I've met many people who, I particularly encourage people about with education. So I've seen people come in, they've had a poor history at school, but they've got immense talent. So I encourage them to go to the education department. And many have then gone on with the Open University to do degrees, have gone out, got jobs, sometimes helping other people who are vulnerable, sometimes going into the education sector. So they're paying something back. These are people with talent who make a difference to their own lives, but then go on to try and help other people. That's brilliant. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on, mate. I've really enjoyed thank you talking very much. to you and uh, I've learned a lot from you and I promise you I won't ever commit a crime. <laughs> I, I hope we don't cross paths <laughs> in that regard, maybe some other way. Well, thanks for the invite. Do you reckon you could be a prison governor, Joe? I really enjoyed that. I hope I didn't piss him off when I asked him a couple of, not controversial, but slightly awkward questions. But I needed to ask, and he's put me straight. He's really changed my mind on that one, so I'm glad we had that. I really enjoyed it. Do you think if something awful happened and you or I were to go to prison, could we call a favour in there after that chat? Uh, I still... He gave me the eyes as he left. I think I'd still struggle, but at least he'd look after me for the first 72 hours I go into the prison, which is nice, because he does that with everyone. You, I think you'll be right. You two seem pretty tight, don't you? Happy days. Joe, I'm going to tell you about another podcast, Death of a Sports Star, presented by the legendary Elroy Spoonface Powell. You can check out episodes about Kobe Bryant, Payne Stewart, Marco Pantani, Flo Joe, John Alomu, and more. A new episode every Monday. All you've got to do, Joe, is search for Death of a Sports Star. We need to get that guy. I want that guy... I need that guy on the show. When are we getting him? Right, you're going to love this, Joe, because he has left a message for you. Oh, Hey, man, how you doing? Loving the show. Listen, I accept your invitation. See you next week. Get the snacks ready, bro. Say hello to Tom for me. See you soon. Oh, 
Have we? How good is that? So I'm getting to meet him, yeah? Cannot wait to hear him in person. Oh, tune in next week. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.